All right, this morning we're going to be remembering a centurion. We've been talking about, we've been using, what psalm have we been talking about over the, since the beginning of the year? Psalm 105. So what we've been looking at is some of the things that David said in Psalm 105. And so what we've been trying to do is just like what David did in the last part of the chapter, he said you need to remember these things. So what we've been doing is we've been looking at and learning from and trying to remember the faith of people that have gone on before us. And we've been able to, to, to put names to most of the people that we've studied about up to this point. Today we can't put a name on this person because his name is not mentioned in the Scripture. But his position and his vocation is mentioned in the scripture. And if you look, and I just want to mention this because some of you are still at that point when you're reading the Bible and you see a discrepancy or what you perceive as a discrepancy um, between certain accounts. If you look at Luke chapter 7, 1 through 10, and if you look at Matthew chapter 8, 5 through 13, if you've ever read this account and compared and looked at them, you're going to see a different, what appears to be in a different, a different account of what is actually taking place. Now, what I love is that when you begin to study and read, you'll find out that the personalities, and, and please hear me when I say this, I love the fact that God doesn't weed out our personalities. And so even in the scripture, when, even though the word is inspired, and even though it comes from the Holy Spirit and God is breathing out these truths, it's still coming through the, the personality, the human that's being used. So Matthew, as an example, his account, which is the one that we're going to look at this morning, but I want to mention, because you can go back and look at, seven, at Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. If you want to turn to Matthew chapter 8, that's the one that we're going to be looking at this morning. But what I love is Matthew, typically, if you compare his account to the other three Gospels, Matthew gives more of an abbreviated account. It's like, it's like let's just be honest, husbands and wives. That was awesome. There was no restraint on that. That was great, okay? He's old enough. He can do that too. Praise God. All right? But think about it. Like how many men, you've been at work, and basically if you, if you look psychologically and, and from a sociology standpoint, how many words they say that a man has to use up during the day? I mean, when he goes to the job and, and he's working and he's hanging out with guys, he's pretty much burned up his divvy of words for the day. Okay, so he comes home and the wife says, well, how was your day? Maybe five words or less, maybe maximum 40 words. Or if you have a situation where you have an event with the kids and you ask, talking to the guys, and it's like, well, what happened? And the man's account is, yeah, man, we just it fell over, that's it. It's pretty much, you know. Quick synoptic, done. <laughs> you maybe laugh a little bit. It was hilarious. <laughs> it was done. Ask the, ask the wife, well, it was a beautiful day outside, and there was all these things taking place, and I'm just telling you right now, and I'm not busting, I'm just talking about what I have experienced up to this point in my life, that then you're going to get way more detail, you're going to get way more facts. They were standing at the back corner of the building as we were walking in to have a conversation. I'm like, that's really cool. What does that have to do with the conversation? You know what I'm saying? So in the same way, sometimes when we're reading the Gospels, don't overlook that fact. Luke is explaining and giving a lot more detail and information. Matthew kind of is cutting to the chase, and he's giving us the quick version of what's going on. And some of you, if you had Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they were all the same, why would we need four of them? 
We just say the gospel's in one. But for some of you, you have an engineering mind. Some of you, you have a different thought process. So even this morning, there's probably some of you that really love Matthew. Others of you are like, no, man, Luke is what's got to go. Well, that's because your personality resonates with the way it's recorded and expressed. Hopefully that'll help. That was not in the notes. I just kind of jumped out there. Matthew chapter 8. Let's begin reading in verse 5. <clears throat> now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. Now, I just want to mention this because if you compare the Matthew and Luke account, I don't really believe that this was this kind of conversation, like the centurion is like this close. Probably if you read the account, it's probably from across the street, down the street, to where that they were still in hearing distance. And I'm not going to go into all the detail, but this, this centurion was aware of Jewish practices. And this centurion was aware that if Jesus actually came into his, into his house because he was a non-Jew, that he'd be ceremonial, ceremonially unclean to be able to worship in the synagogue. So um, even though we may say, we may think that this centurion is talking to Jesus in this proximity, it's probably more from, hey, Scotty, can you hear me? Now, I have a microphone, but I really don't need it, as you know. But I'm sure that we could have a conversation. Can you say something? See? That was good. It was maxed out, though. Thanks. That was good. All right? So it's probably more of a distance conversation because of some things that are going on. So let's read on. He said, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed. He's dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. Verse 8, the centurion, answered, the centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. Now notice what he says in verse 9 here. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. Verse 10, and when Jesus heard it, now I've got this circled in my Bible. Now some of you, I know some of your traditions that this would be considered ungodly. I just want you to see, well, sorry. Like I've got this circled. Because there's only one other time in the scripture Mark chapter 6 and verse 6, where Jesus marveled at anything. And if you go back and look, what Jesus marveled at in that other account is he marveled at their unbelief. He was blown away at their lack of faith. But here, when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. I'm just going to tell you. I've been 
mulling this account over for months on end now, maybe a year. I keep going back and rereading it because it blows my mind that Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, with a centurion, an army guy, marveled, was amazed at his faith. So let's just remember this centurion a little bit. I want to just kind of go through some things real quick. And I've put them up here so that I don't forget anything and you can kind of just run through them. Um, I, don't, I don't know. I, I like movies like that. So I just wanted to give you an action shot of a centurion. Um, and one of my favorite movies, I don't know, any of you seen The Eagle? It's one of my favorite movies. Love that movie. Anybody seen The Eagle? Uh, yeah, okay, because you had to. Um, but... If you, if you want to, I mean, it, it's, it's a powerful movie. I love it because it's about leadership, but it also gives you a good understanding. Um, and then these are, no, you can go back to the other one. There you go. No, the, the next one. Okay, good. Oh, it's got my back. So just think of it from the standpoint. Um, a lot of times a, a modern-day captain has a similar number of men underneath his leadership and underneath his care. Um, but I just wanted to give you this picture because when we're talking about this centurion, we're talking about a warfighter. And what I, what I want to separate is a lot of times today when you go through officer candidate school and you go through, you may, you may get the higher level training, you may understand how to lead men, how to lead women, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you have been a participating warfighter. Well, that's not true with the typical centurion back in the day, okay? So let's go on to the next one. I want to show you some things. I want to give you an idea. Now, there, is, there are some people that believe that he was in the Roman army, and then there are other people that when they go back and look his, his, at, from a historical standpoint, they believe that at the time in Galilee that there were no Roman soldiers dispatched to that area in Capernaum, and it was probably the fill-in army of Herod of um, yeah, Antipas. And basically what it was was it was, a, it was the same thing but these guys were doing the work of Rome through Herod, and he had his own army. There was really just almost kind of like a replica army. So I'm just throwing that out uh, for any of you that like that kind of stuff. But basically, it's a non-Jewish person deployed to Galilee, the city of Capernaum. So think about some of you in here, if you've been deployed on behalf of our government, and you're put in a hostile area where you are managing or you are overseeing the affairs of the people, um, Probably not for most people. You're, you're probably not going to be their favorite person because you're exacting orders from a government or a situation of authority outside of your local government. Does that make sense? That's why I'm just trying to lay the groundwork. Okay, go to the next one. Just really quickly, I want to give you some, some typical things about a centurion. They were educated. They literally had to be able to read and write the orders um, that were given them that were passed down, decrees, laws, guidelines, um, they were not young. I said, a man of war who distinguished himself. And if you don't know what that means, that means that they had proven themselves in battle. They were war tested. Um, typically, a lot of the centurions were very adept at being able to be successful or experts in throwing any kind of weapon, defending themselves with any kind of weapon, um, they, were, they were the bad dudes. And a lot of times they had worked their way up to centurion 
Um, sometimes they were appointed because of certain things, but a lot of times they had worked their way up because of their valor on the battlefield. Um, vigilant to execute orders. Now, I put that in there because you need to understand something. A, cent a centurion did not question the orders that were handed down to them. They executed them. They took care of them. They usually had between 80 and 100 men uh, underneath them, and they were comp compensated from a pay standpoint. They were compensated at a much higher level so that even if you look historically, it was not uncommon for a centurion to retire if he was able to retire and get out of the army. And then a lot of the people that would, were under his command, he would actually employ them because of the level of status that he had once he got out of the army. Does that make sense? Like he was, they were very well accomplished financially and they were taken care of. Next one, okay? <clears throat> I'd already mentioned this, but I just wanted you to see this and think about that. Next slide, kind of reiterates this. Typically, Jewish leaders were not digging <laughs> the deployed army and their leaders, and typically the deployed army people weren't digging the Jews. Is that, is that understandable? Okay, next one. This is the real point that I want you to focus on today. With all that said, this is what I think that we miss, and this is why I've been musing over this passage, and in Luke, I've been musing over it for myself. I've been meditating, I've been asking, I've been talking to God about it, because I think that a lot of times in our current culture, we miss the point of what faith is. And what I think is amazing about this centurion and the way that Jesus of Nazareth was amazed and the way that he was captivated, if I can use that word, that he was blown away by this centurion's faith is because there's something about his faith that if we're not careful as Americans that we overlook or we miss. This man said, I get the whole authority structure. And let me just say that this is something that our, our current culture really struggles with. A lot of us in here that are 45 and above, we kind of get a little bit better, an authority structure, we get, we get an authority figure, we get, we get that kind of stuff. But especially this younger generation, let me just say, if you're not aware of all that's going on with the whole anarchy, the, I mean, the stuff that's going on underground, the things that are going on, if, if you've had your head in the sand and you don't want to believe where our current culture is and the struggles that are, you, you need to kind of pull up, take a deep breath and look around because it's a real struggle. And, and what's difficult is even, even with some of the parenting situations that kids are being raised to not understand authority and obedience and where they fit into that. And so we are beginning to now see the outgrowth of that philosophy and that belief in our current culture and it's, it's having devastating effects even on us as a nation. And so this man is saying, and it's important that we stop and think about this, because he's saying, I get this whole authority thing. And so what he's saying is, I understand that there's power, and this power comes from somewhere, and I understand authority. And it was because of that 
And this is why I want you to listen to me for just a few minutes. He got, please hear me, these Jewish leaders that have all these expectations, they were trying to get Jesus to fit into their mold and their idea. And please hear me, brother and sister, we've all got to be careful because some of us came in here this morning disappointed and frustrated because Jesus hasn't met your exact expectation over the last week or over the last three years. We're trying to put Jesus into our box, our world, our mold, instead of us getting into his box and his mold. So what he's saying here and what he's talking about is he's saying, I get authority. I get how this works. And what he is proclaiming, please hear me when I say this, unlike the Jewish leaders with all their education, please hear me, with all their Bible knowledge, with all their verses, with all the Pentateuch study, with all the things that they had looked at, this centurion got it more clear because this is the pieces that the centurion put together. Now, if you read in Luke, he had been watching and observing, and he was sympathetic toward the God of the Hebrews. The Luke account says that he had helped construct the synagogue, that they understood that this guy has a sensitivity toward Yahweh, Elohim. So in his observation and his sensitivity of what was going on, this guy looks at Jesus and he puts two and two together where the religious people couldn't. And this is what he, this is what he was able to put together. God sent him. He is deployed to earth for a purpose. God deployed him, God empowered him, he is from God, he is God's, all power resides in him, if I come to him, I know that he can deliver. Next slide. I honestly, I hear more conversations about faith and faith groups and faith movements today than I ever have in my entire life, and I'm a young 59. <laughs> Younger than Axel, I'll just say that, but you know, a young 59. <laughs> faith is not this feel-good, nebulous, ambiguous well, just have faith, Judy. You feeling it? Just have faith. Faith in what? Charmin toilet paper? Faith in, I mean, seriously, what are we supposed to have faith in? Just faith in it of itself? Like somehow faith is floating around and we just have faith? Faith is going to drop down from the cosmos? Well, that, that is pretty close to some of the teaching. It's not about having faith in faith and just having faith. Well, if you just, faith, Nate, if you just have faith, just have faith. Okay, it's like, okay, I'm going to believe. Like Christmas time, presents. I'm going to believe. I'm going to have faith. Faith in what? That's the difference between the centurion 
and general conversation about faith is the centurion did not have faith in faith or general faith. He had specific, detailed belief in the power and the authority that was present with him. I'm going to ask you this morning. Is your faith, please hear me, I love you enough, I'm going to ask you a hard question. Is your faith genuinely more about you and who you are and your training and your belief system and your mind and your gifts and your talents and your personalities? Now, we can use, we can put a God label over it, but it's so easy. I've done the same thing. I'm going to hang the God label here, and I'm going to stand up underneath it. But the picture is about Timmy. But because I'm a Christian, I've got my label up here, and I have faith, but I can walk away from the label and take my confidence with me, because at the end of the day, it's really more about faith in me and faith in all these other things. It's faith in my success. It's faith in my financial situation. It's faith in my education. It's faith in the things that my parents have had to, handed down to me. It's faith in all these other things. And I'm asking you this morning, is your faith focused genuinely on him? Now, if you're going to ask me that, I would say I'm learning to make that true. Well, Pastor Tim, you've got to have faith in Jesus all the time. No, I don't have to. No, I don't. Because I'm wrapped in the same body and mind and human experience that you are, Ben. Kimmy? Sue? I could go down row after row, person after person. We all have the same struggle because we are all wrapped in this humanity. And so as we've been talking about our struggle, every single one of us, fear, or faith, condemnation, or faith, judgment, faith, you fill in your word, faith, you know what I mean, I don't know how to describe your word, but it's not pretty, it's, or faith, you get what I'm saying, so do you have a clear picture of Jesus and his redemptive desire for you, his power, and the fact that he wants to do amazing things in and through your life? He wants to flow through you, in you, rearrange you, and then flow out of you on behalf of other people. This centurion faith, who is the first to be affected by it? That was a question with a question mark at the end of the sentence. The centurion was? Who was the next person? His servant? Do you think he stopped there? Can you imagine the Jewish leaders? You can imagine all these apostles following Jesus and they're hanging out with him. And if you go back and read, they just came from the Sermon on the Mount. Man, that was some heavy-duty teaching right there. And so what did Jesus say on the Sermon on the Mount? your enemies so then here he is here's this centurion here's this baddest of the bad persecutor type of role coming to Jesus and asking him to do great things 
And not only does Jesus respond, but Jesus stops and he makes a point. And he says, and hear me, brothers and sisters, with all the educated rabbinical training that's everywhere, with all the deep knowledge of scripture, I have not found anyone with this type of faith. Some of you, please hear me. I wish that I could go by and look every one of you eyeball to eyeball. We don't have time. I'm just going to do a general eyeball sweep. It applies to everybody. Even back there. Hey, Richard. Okay. As someone who cares, please, please, Please understand the almighty, amazing love that God has for you and the incredible plan that he has for you. And please take a baby step to make it more about him today and make it more about his plan today. Make it more about his power today. Make it more about his authority today. And let's get back to just letting God be God. Next slide. I want to remind you of what Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6 says. And the centurion is not listed in Hebrews chapter 11. And yet Jesus said he marveled and he amazed at his faith. But it says we must believe that he exists and that he rewards to those who seek him. So youth group Wednesday night for those that were there. Reagan Weekly, he was sitting, I was standing behind him. He couldn't look at me. And we were talking about faith because we're talking about James. We're going through the book of James with these kids and they can, they can get deep stuff. So I'm standing behind him and I said, Reagan, I want you to stand up and I want you to turn around and I want you to look at me face to face. So he just sat there. Clock's ticking. It's like 10 seconds. You know, when you're waiting on somebody, 10 seconds gets longer. You know, maybe in closer to 15 seconds. I don't know exactly. And then all of a sudden, chair moves. You see him wiggling. It's not real fast. Doesn't just jump up and turn around. Oh, I forgot to tell you that I told him that if you do that, I'll give you a buck. Now, some of you, you would have just jumped up and flared, but he's, He's processing. He's trying to figure out, am I messing with him, whatever. But eventually, he stands up, he turns around, he looks at me, and I just open, I put my hand in my pocket, and I pull out a dollar, and I hand it to him. He's just kind of like, and then some other youth at the table saw that I had a five and a ten. And they're like, I want to help. I want to help. You get what I'm saying? And what I talked to him about is you're trying to figure out whether you, I'm trustworthy. And I just want to tell you, as a church family, I'm doing my best to be trustworthy, but I'm going to let you down. I'm going to disappoint you because I'm human. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to say the wrong thing at the wrong time. I'm going to say the right thing at the wrong time. I'm, I mean, it's just, just part of being in our human body. But at the same time, as I was trying to get Reagan to understand, dude, I'm going to try to be true to my word. God is always true to what he says. He's trustworthy. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The problem is we don't understand 
or we're trying to understand before we trust. And yet this centurion has given us a great example. He says, I get authority structure. I get power. I get the connection. I'm coming to you because I believe that you're going to make something happen. Can you imagine if we began to live like that this week? If we could remember the centurion and simply take God at his word, believe him. And so when we read the scripture and it says, you are forgiven, to where you just look at that and go, thank you, God, I'm forgiven. But we read the scripture and we go, yes, that's awesome. But but you don't know, you don't understand. No, 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 no. He already knows way more about you than you're willing to admit about yourself. And he says, you are forgiven because you believe in Jesus. You are forgiven. Your sins have been cast as far as the east is from the west. But, 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 but. Is it true or not? So just to take him at his word. I think I got one more, two more. Do I get two more? I've already said this, but I wanted to reiterate the point. Just wanted to give you something visual to look at. Faith is my response. Next slide. Some of you, you come from a tradition where this word still wraps you up and you're trying to earn something. And if I hear anything from church families in Madison County, Greene County, Albemarle, Orange, Culpeper, it, you know what I get regularly? I'm a good person. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to be good. <laughs> Look around the room. If that's what it is, we're all kind of jerked. Because we ain't got it in us compared to him. We cannot earn. If you're trying to earn faith, if you're trying to get to a point where, see, that's when we're placing more confidence in ourselves and what we're doing and our faith is about us and it's not about him. But when we are getting to the point where we understand that I am placing my faith See, I am transferring my belief and my confidence to him, and it's more about him and less about me. Does that make sense? That's what the centurion had going on for him. I think we got, do we got one more? Yeah. So who around you have you written off? Who have you given up on? Look at the number of people in here this morning. There's hundreds and hundreds of unsuspecting people that you have no idea what God is doing in their heart. Because Jesus was amazed at his faith. I believe that he was surrounded by people that were blown away at the centurion's proclamation of faith to Jesus and what he was asking Jesus to do. I believe that if you were to take a poll in Capernaum, he probably would not be at the top of the list of people that were gonna be suspected to place great faith in Jesus of Nazareth. Isn't it amazing how we know our junk and we say, God, forgive me, and we're thankful for his grace, and yet we qualify and we limit how we're going to pass that on and to who we're going to pass it on to. Next slide. 
You want another glimpse of my heart? This is a glimpse of my heart. You want another crazy prayers that I pray privately? And the things I'm asking God for? It's this kind of stuff. Because what I want to see take place is the gospel and the love of Jesus proclaimed through a bunch of misfit, throwaway, dysfunctional, whatever you want to use. I don't want us to be this beautifully religious together. We got our stuff together. We, all, we know all the right answers. Because then what we wind up doing is placing our confidence in ourselves, our organization, our structure, and all the good stuff that we got going on. If that's your mindset, I'm going to love on you. I want to be patient with you. But we're going to mess up your model because that's not the kind of church we are. We're going to be a church that proclaims the amazing grace of an amazing God who has shed his blood over us and given us hope and given us a life that we could never earn for ourselves. Whew, because then we keep it about Jesus. And then when we get around other messed up people just like us and they say, oh, you don't understand. You go, oh, yeah, yeah I do. You don't get it. We're all in the same boat here. You get what I'm saying? His authority and his power. Father in heaven, I believe that you are drawing someone here today. And I ask that they would turn to you and they would relinquish control, that they would relinquish their perceived power. And Father, that they would place themselves humbly before you that they would receive forgiveness. God, that they would believe in you and that you would gloriously change them the way that you have promised. I thank you that when any one of us by faith draw close to you, that you respond and you meet us there. I believe it. I praise you for it. I continue to experience it. And I ask that it would grow stronger and stronger in this group. May it spread like wildfire by your spirit. In Jesus' name.